All right, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn in them to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Okay. Well, for 10 months, we were in the book of Revelation together. We went through the entire book. We looked at every chapter, every verse. And at the end of it, I thought it appropriate to take some time to reflect on everything that we had just read and learned to take a moment to take a step back and to consider how we should react, how we should um, apply and implement those things that we have been taught. And I wanted to take you through several passages in the New Testament that speak directly to Christians who find themselves living in the last days. And I believe that we are in the last days. And today I want to bring your attention to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul writes to a young man named Timothy, who became the pastor of a church in a city called, or a city called Ephesus. And notice what uh, Paul says to Timothy. We're going to read the first five verses of chapter 4, 1 Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused, if it is received with thanksgiving, for if it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We are living in a time right now that Paul draws our attention to the necessity of discernment. We need to be discerning individuals. We need to know right from wrong, true from false, good from evil. Now, you would think that would be a no-brainer, wouldn't you? But today we see that we have a lot of individuals that don't seem to know right from wrong anymore, true from false, good or evil. We as Christians, though, must be uh, individuals that carry themselves in discernment. As a teacher, one of the quotes that I have kept near and dear to my heart was from the famous English author Samuel Johnson. Samuel Johnson said this about education. He said that the supreme end of education is expert discernment in all things. The power to tell the good from the bad, the genuine from the counterfeit, and to prefer the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. One of my responsibilities as a teacher is to help develop within you discernment. That discernment is defined as such. Discernment means the sound judgment which makes possible the distinguishing of good from evil and the recognition of God's right ways for His people. It is necessary for the understanding of the spiritual realities and, on the practical level, for the right government and the avoidance of life's pitfalls. I can't say it any better than that. We need to be discerning individuals. Paul warns us 
that in the last days, notice with me here in verse 1 again, if you will. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, the last days, some will depart from the faith. And their departure, notice here, is due to them giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The very first thing that Jesus said concerning the last days in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, was this. Take heed and let no one deceive you. Take heed and let no one deceive you. Today, after we see the necessity for discernment, I'll conclude by helping you and show you how you can gain discernment as a Christian. I don't know about you, but I still remember the first time that I ever really felt deceived. I was young. I probably was 9, 10 years old. And one of my uncles on my uh, dad's side of the family, my uncle Dan, he was the uncle that nobody ever wanted to talk about. You know, he's the uncle you called when it got real and he had to get involved, okay? He was that guy, all right? He owned, a, he owned a bar in the city of Chicago, okay? And often I would spend my Saturdays at Uncle Dan's bar, okay? That says a lot about me, all right, doesn't it? Right there. But Uncle Dan, he was a great guy, absolute great guy, and nobody messed with Uncle Dan, okay? My mom and dad, they came from a, a, a or my, mom, my dad had a brother, 11 brothers and sisters, okay? And Uncle Dan, every time I came, he loved me, he always had, he was so generous to me, he let me do all kinds of fun things around the bar, wash dishes, sweep, you know, and then he'd pay me generously, like 10 bucks, okay? He always felt like he was doing me a favor. Hey, I'll let you sweep today. I'll let you wash dishes. He was just that kind of guy. So I finally got my 10 bucks. And, you know, he had video games there, and he had pinball machines and a pool and all that stuff. And I had the 10 bucks, and one of the guys in the bar during the day saw that I was carrying 10 bucks. And he said to me, he said, look, I'll give you five of these for that one of those. Okay. So me, being an expert at math, you know, five or one, you know, and he gave me five singles for my $10 bill. And I thought I was happy. I ran back to, look, I got five instead of the one. He goes, I, I know you're adopted, kid, and I'm glad that because this was stu- that was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen you do. He was very encouraging. He had my self-esteem in his, you know, in his sights, you know, he wanted to make sure that I felt good about myself. You stupid kid, you ain't related to me. And uh, it's a true story, okay? So my Uncle Dan got out from behind the bar, went over to the guy, just looked at him, whispered a couple words, and the guy went like this, pulled out my $10 bill, <laughs> left the bar, and he came back, and I got the 10 and I kept the 5, okay? My Uncle Dan made him an offer he couldn't refuse, I guess, you know? But I'll never forget that, how I was deceived. I thought I was doing good. I thought I had more than when I started. In actuality, I was taken advantage of. That's what deception is. Deception is when you believe you're entering into something and you're going to be better off for it, and then you find out in the end the results were disastrous. You think about Eve in the garden when Satan tempted her in the manner that he did. 
It sounded all good, right? You're going to be more like God. You're going to, you're, you're going to know good and evil. Did he really say that? And she says, oh, my God, maybe not. And then, boy, it went downhill quick after that, huh? We, we need to be discerning and not be deceived in these last days. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus warned us. In Mark chapter 13, verses 21 through 23, should be on the screen behind me. He says, Then if anyone says to you, Look here, is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Take heed and see, I have told you all things beforehand. When Paul was speaking to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, the church we're talking about here that Timothy is currently pastoring, notice what he says. In Acts 20, 28 to 31, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. From among yourselves, men will rise up. Notice that. Speaking perverse things. To draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember for the three years that I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Or when Jude wrote in Jude 17 through 19. He says, but you beloved remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you. That there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. There are sensual persons causing divisions, not having the Spirit. There are numerous warnings that in the last days it would be a time of deception. Now we know today more than ever, we honestly don't know who to trust, do we? We don't know what to believe. Every time we hear something, we have to question its authenticity. Is it real? Is it true? We can't even trust our media any longer to tell us the truth. We can't trust our politicians. We can't trust our doctors to tell us the truth anymore. We live in a time where we are surrounded by deception. And that is certainly true in the church today, and we need to be aware of that this morning. We need discernment. Notice what Paul says in verse 1 again. Now, the Spirit expressly says. Now, scholars debate if the Spirit said specifically in emphasizing this point, meaning, Paul, I need you to really emphasize this to Timothy, or if Paul was concluding by the various numbers of warnings that we were given through Scripture because of how often this was repeated. And if you look through all the various epistles, at some point or another, they talk about falsehoods rising up from without and from within the church. Falsehoods that will draw people away, that will destroy people's lives, that will promise them something they cannot provide, gospels that cannot save, over and over, time and time again. Peter warns us, John warns us, Paul warns us, James warns us, Jude warns us, Luke warns us, etc. The number of times that this has been said. 
As Peter so eloquently put it, he said, just as in the Old Testament they had false prophets, in the New Testament, in the day of the church, we shall encounter false teachers. And we need to be aware. We need to be discerning. The days of being as deep as a teaspoon theologically is over. Okay? We need to know not only what we believe, but why we believe it. The simplest way to save yourself from deception is by knowing the truth. That's the simplest way. I've used this analogy over and over again, this illustration, that when we train our secret service to discover and to identify counterfeit money, because of all the variants that are out there, it would take them forever to study every false bill, every piece of currency that is not legitimate, So instead of endeavoring to train them that way, our government trains them by studying the true bill, backwards and forwards. The true $100 bill. The true $50 bill. I don't know what those look like. The $5 bill. The $10 bill. And that way, when a piece of counterfeit money comes across their desk, they see it and know it immediately. That's what I'm here to do for you. I'm going to teach you the truth of this book. This is our handbook for avoiding deception right here. And if you're not reading it from Genesis to Revelation every single day, okay, I've got high standards, you should be spending 26 hours a day. Okay, there's only 24. Are you guys with me? Did you guys all decide to go to decaf today? Were you mesmerized by the beautiful trees outside and so forth? We need to be in this book. This isn't optional anymore, guys. We need to know what this says. And let me tell you, you don't have to be brilliant or a theologian to understand what God's Word says. You simply need to read it to allow it just to sink in. Because as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. And even if we don't know specifically that something may be wrong, the Spirit of God has a tendency to say in our, in our heart, wait a minute, slow down. Something's wrong here. Ask a question. Ask another one. Ask him for chapter and verse. Something's wrong. We need to be discerning. But notice that he says here in verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, this is always a phrase in the Greek that represents the last days. Some will depart from the faith. There will be an exodus from the faith. John said it this way in 1 John 2, 18 and 19. He said this. He said, little children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, meaning false Christs, by which you know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I'm convinced that John's favorite author was Dr. Seuss, okay? Because of his writing. But notice what he says there. It's so important. 
that in the last day there will be this departure and that departure will indicate that these individuals were never truly of us. And it already started in John's day. And it is continuing today. But no one talks about this apostasy, this departure from the faith, more than Paul. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to read with you, if I may, one of the greatest chapters that Paul wrote concerning the times in which I believe we are currently living in. Now, we don't know the day or the hour, and we don't know how close we are. But I'll guarantee you this, that we're 2,000 years closer today than we were when, when Paul wrote this. But notice what he says here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, because it hadn't come yet, they thought it might have. Let no one, what? Deceive you by any means. Again, there it is. There's the warning. For that day will not come unless the falling away, the great apostasy, the departure from the Christian faith, those, will, those leaving and not coming back. That's what he's saying here. Comes first. And then he talks about the man of sin being revealed, which of course is who we know as the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? I want to stop there for a moment because this is fascinating. Scholars believe that Paul's first missionary journey to Thessalonica, the city in which he is addressing here, and he is reminding them of his interaction with them here at this point, he was only in this city for about six weeks, okay? And he took them through a new believer's Bible study, a discipleship course, if you will. And notice that he's already getting into eschatology, the last days, talking about what they can expect and what is coming next. I am amazed at the number of churches today in America that will not talk about this subject. They believe it's divisive. Some believe that they cannot know what the truth is concerning it because there are varying opinions and interpretations of these events. We are living in a time in history where every time we, we, uh, we uh, watch the news, we wonder if we should go grab our Bibles, Right? And yet, we are shying away from those things. And Paul said that in his first missionary journey, six weeks with these folks, he already talked about these things. That's why we talk about them here at Calvary. We talk about these things here at Calvary because the New Testament talks about them. And that's why we bring it to you. Some have said, well, you guys are just obsessed with it. No, I'm not obsessed with the it. I'm obsessed with him. And I'm looking for his return. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. That's who I'm looking for. And this keeps my eyes focused on him. Verse 6. And now you know what is restraining him, that he will be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. Only he who is now restraining will do so until he is taken out of the way. 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. This is, of course, referring to the Antichrist. And destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they may be uh, condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pretty serious stuff, huh? And that's exactly what Paul was trying to communicate. But he warns us here that in the last days an apostasy will occur a departure from the Christian faith, giving heeds to doctrines of demons. The Greek word for demon in the New Testament is demonia. Demonia had an implication to it, an understanding that when it was used in the Greek language, it represented a spirit guide of an individual. In the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, there was this understanding of the spiritual world and the physical world interacting and touching at various places. When Paul talks about principalities and powers, he's talking about the spiritual world that has allowed for the elevation or the exaltation or the advancements of individuals who are now in places of authority in the world. In that culture, they saw that the authority was granted to them by the spiritual world. Today, as we are consumed with what is known as naturalism, we have abandoned and truly dismissed any idea of a supernatural world. That reality is only you know, gauged by our five senses. What we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch. This is reality and this is all that there is. There is nothing more in nature. Naturalism. So we've divorced ourselves. We've dismissed, if you will, any idea of a spiritual world. But the Bible says just the opposite is true. That just the opposite is true. Paul said in another letter to, in, in, to the Corinthians, uh, there in uh, Corinthian, to the Corinthians in Corinth, he said, "Don't you understand that when you worship idols, you are literally worshiping the demons behind those idols?" That's what he said. If we don't see the events of our world through the lens of Scripture, we are going to miss the spiritual involvement behind the evil that we see today. Killing children, evil, wicked, demonic. Let's just say it, okay? I don't care if it's abortion or I don't care if it's the slaughter of innocent children in the kibbutz in Israel. These pro-Palestinian rallies that we see around our country, evil. I'm sorry, that's what they are. They're evil. The reason being is that Palestine, free Palestine, free Palestine, they were given Palestine in 2005. I'm sorry, the Gaza Strip in 2005. Israel completely departed. Israel even gave them all the rights to the natural gas that was right off their shore. They could have made it a paradise. But in 2006, they, yet in, they instead vote Hamas in as their political leaders, and they have been ever since. 
if we don't see the spiritual connection between this world and the spiritual world when it comes to gender dysphoria or the rationale that we can mutilate children and think that by this mutilation we are causing their gender to change, right? God says, I've made male and female. That settles it for me, okay? The world is deceived because they've taken God out of our public space And now everyone's trying to do what's right in their own eyes. There is a direct correlation between the spiritual world and the physical world today. And we're seeing the outplaying of that. So who is supposed to step into the gap? Who is supposed to say enough's enough? Who's supposed to say, hey, we got to get back to reality? Who's going to save us from this insanity? Guess who? This is what God put the church on the earth for. That we stand in the gap in the power of the Holy Spirit with the knowledge of God's truth and in the love of Jesus Christ we say enough with firmness and resolution. We need to stand up now more than ever. Why? Kids are dying. People's lives are being destroyed. We cannot just go hide in our corner and say, oh Lord, I pray for revival. It's got to start with us, folks. Because just the opposite is happening amongst many who have called themselves Christians for years. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But in Timothy's day, in Paul's day, the threat to the church, the early church, was a system of thinking called Gnosticism. And all of the elements of Gnosticism are found in verses 2 through 5. In these verses, these were the things that Paul was uh, contesting against. These are the things that they were fighting about in their day, fighting for the truth in their day. Gnostics believe, if I may sum it up for you in a very technical way, all flesh bad, all material things bad, all spiritual things good. So marriage, bad, that was physical. Certain foods, if you're a foodie here today, you would not have liked to be a Gnostic, okay? Because they believed it was all bad. Paul's saying, no, if God says something's good, it's good. Marriage, good. The foods that he has blessed, good, okay? But they were bringing about these things for what's called aestheticism. They believed that these things, by restraining themselves from them, by not doing them, that they were making themselves more spiritual, enlightened. And isn't it interesting today that we are told as Christians that we are hindering the progressive enlightenment of our society because of our antiquated and uh, ancient ideas found in the Bible? Well, if this in the world is progression, you bet I'm going to hinder it, okay? If this is enlightenment, then I'm going to stick with the Bible because you guys are going nuts, And the only thing that keeps me sane in this world is God's Word. You know, we're told that something white is actually black, and something black is actually white. And if you see it differently, it must be your problem. Gaslighting us to believe it is our fault. And therefore setting ourselves up to be deceived. But today, we are not fighting against these things. We are fighting against lies that we could have never, ever imagined. 
Paul talked about this asceticism in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Individuals who believed that spiritual perfection was found in these things. Now remember what Paul said. Why is it that you have begun in the Spirit and now think you can perfect yourself in the flesh? You can't do it. So Paul says this to us, that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That Jesus Christ, God, is the author and the finisher of our faith. He loves you too much to leave you the way he found you, and what he started in you, he will be faithful to complete. I'm not going to perfect myself through these observations, through these denials. Though it may look spiritual on the surface, I think Jesus had some problems with some people who looked all spiritual on the outside, but he said, inside you're full of dead man's bones and all corruption, speaking of the religious Pharisees. Hey, you know what? When I first came to church, when I was 16 years old, I wanted to honor God, so I wore my best heavy metal t-shirt. It was Iron Maiden, okay? I wore jeans that I thought were honoring to God that were ripped because he's holy, Okay? I did. I walked into church like that. And one of the very first things I heard my pastor say was this, that God is not worried about the outside of you as much as he's worried about the inside of you. He's worried about transforming your heart. And guess what? Your heart will transform the rest of your body. I had long hair back then. You're really going to have to imagine. Okay? But when I heard that, I started realizing from the very beginning, it's not our outward conformity that God is interested in. It's our inward transformation that he has set in motion. And all of us who are Christians are in God's hands, and he is bringing about that change from the inside out. Why? Because he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. So Paul wrote about this aestheticism when he said, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why, as though living in this world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed I have a, a, of the appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. This doesn't change you. It doesn't change you at all. Only God can change you from the inside out. Today we do see a departure from the Christian faith. And as our world becomes more and more engulfed in postmodernism, Within the umbrella or under the umbrella of postmodern thinking, a new, um, meth a new technique has emerged in the supposed healing of the psyche and the mind of the individual. And some of you might even have heard this word already. It's the word deconstruction, based on deconstructionism. This is a principle and a technique that is now using by psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists. When a Christian comes in for therapy, the very first thing that is discussed in many of the cases, and I have testimony after testimony after testimony of this occurring, 
They say to the individual, well, let us begin by deconstructing your faith to see if there are elements of your faith that are causing you anxiety, fear, worry, tension with others, etc. And by deconstructing these things, removing these things, let's replace them with things that are more acceptable in society. And I cannot tell you the number of people that have experienced this. Now some, when we talk about deconstruction, are basically speaking about just wrestling with their faith. Okay, why do I believe what I believe? And wrestling through God's Word to discover why and to answer that question. But let me say this to you, that once you have your answer from Scripture, God does expect you to submit to it. Because His Word is our authority in our life spiritually. But the other deconstructionism isn't simply just wrestling with our faith. It is the removal and replacement of elements of our faith. If it is causing you tension to believe that homosexuality and lesbian is sin before God, then let us just remove that and replace it with the love and tolerance of this world. If walking by faith is too difficult for you or the concept of waiting on God seems too difficult for you, then let's remove those things and do what's right in your heart. Let your heart guide you. These are actual statements that were said. Think about these things in a moment. Do what is right. And oftentimes it comes down to relationships. Individuals waiting for the spouse in whom that God would have them to marry. Waiting on God's heart, guys. Let me say that. But it's always the right thing to do when you don't know what to do. Always. Well, go ahead and marry him or her. Well, they're not Christians. Yes, but again, maybe they will become Christians by your witness, right? Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. This deconstructionism has led to a new form of Christianity. It's not new, but it's, it's been rebranded in our society called progressive Christianity. It's where they adopt the orthodoxy of Jesus' deity and so forth. He died for our sins. He rose again. But the moral standards are no longer governed by the text of Scripture, but by the social construct of our society. If society thinks that these things are right, then they're right. A gentleman named Mike Winger, who I very much respect, and his, one of his messages that he gave, he looked into progressive Christianity and determined that what progressive Christianity is, is simply an off-ramp of Christianity altogether. It is the off-ramp leading to apostasy. It is the off-ramp that is leading to a life apart from God. I've heard people say, I no longer identify as an evangelical Christian. Well, what do you identify as? As a Christian. Some say as a progressive Christian. They've already stepped off that path. They're already on the off-ramp leading them to apostasy. You know, if you were to chart a course in a boat from point A to point B, and at some point in your course, or flying a plane, 
you simply veer off one degree. Initially, that variant doesn't seem to be very significant. But if you continue traveling in that path, you will find yourself way off your navigation and target. You know, you're going to find yourself way off, of course. And that's what's happening today. God is not asking us to to replace or to remove and replace. He's asking us to stand firm in His Word. He's asking us to stand on the truth. Guys, there's nothing but sifting sand out there. I want to stand on the rock. I need it more now than ever before. Because let me tell you, it is shifting sand. Because what is right today won't be what's right five years from now, right? It won't be what's right ten years from now. But God's Word is exactly what we need. I want to read to you, and it will be on the screen behind me, from J. Oswald Sanders. Now, some of you may not recognize that name, but he was the founder and the leader of Overseas Missionaries. It was an organization. You may know him from their little pamphlet called Our Daily Bread. And he talked about, and this is a classic, The Devil's Strategy. This is what he entitled it. The devil's strategy, his overall strategy is to supersede and overthrow the kingdom of God. It is a strategy of destruction. If he was so clever for man in this perfection in Eden, he has much greater advantage over man in his fallen state. It has been said that he plans to destroy human government through anarchy. He wrote this back in the 50s, by the way. Any student of history can trace the stratagem of the devil. The pervading activity of a malign power poisoning the stream of human history. He is the mastermind behind the present world system with its lusts for power and its political and economic intrigue. His purpose to destroy human society through debauchery. Any student of sociology can trace a similar pattern in the cycles of human history. In our own day, we have seen the world flooded with moral filth to a degree of inconceivable, uh, that was inconceivable 50 years ago. He aims to destroy true religion through apostasy. Any student of theology and, of the, and church history can discern reoccurring heresies and apostasies through the centuries. And in our own day, there has been a widespread of recruitments of many of the old heresies in the heretical cults which have been spawned and are now encircling the globe. As the God of this age, he has set up a complete counterfeit Christianity. Everything about him is false. He uses false and counterfeit instruments to achieve his purpose. Paul sums up this aspect of the devil's activities in these words. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is to no great thing if he ministers, his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He wrote that in the 1950s, warning us of the devil's strategy. We need discernment now more than ever. Well, pastor, how do I get that? How do I become a discerning individual? Well, we certainly know that one of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, is a spiritual gift of discernment that can help us in our time of need. 
As Paul wrote, he said in 1 Corinthians 12.10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another a different kind of tongues, to another the interpretations of, of tongues. We need to be able to discern and the Holy Spirit is there to help us to discern when that need is there. But there's another practical way that we can gain discernment. And that is by knowing the Word of God. Let me say that again. There's another practical way of gaining discernment. It is by knowing the Word of God. And there's only one way to learn it. And that is by reading it. Studying it. Asking questions concerning it. Learning and growing in your knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. For the writer of Hebrews said it this way in his rebuke to his recipients. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, or the Word of God as we would know it. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason have used their senses to exercise to discern both good and evil. Paul says, you're children. You're still on milk. You know, picture a baby with a bottle. Okay? It's all, it's very, it's cute, right? It's neat to see. But if that kid was 13 and still on a bottle, you'd be like, you may have a problem. If that person was 24 and still on a bottle, that's a person you'd want to unfriend from Facebook. Okay? It's a problem. But he's saying that a lot of Christians are just like that. You should be cutting up the steak. You should be cutting up the solid foods. And yet you're still on a cream of wheat. Malto meal. You need to hit the hard stuff. You need to dig in. You know, I think one of the reasons everybody likes buffets is because you can choose what to eat and what not to eat, right? And when you become an adult, hey, there's no one to stop you from going to the dessert tray first, right? There's no one speaking over your shoulder saying, nope, you got to eat all your food first before you hit the ice cream. You know, that way when I go to buffets, it's always like <laughs> cake. <laughs> but... When we approach the Word of God like that, and we only choose those things that we like to consider, oh, we'll be fat and happy, but we won't be very healthy. We need all of the Bible. We need to tackle every issue. You know, there were those writing 200 years ago that the impact of evolution would have no real effect upon the church. Really? Really? Today we see our whole society governed by the notion that we are just accidents. In my class this week, I showed my students their ancestor. And they all thought it was going to be a monkey. They all thought that. So I, the, the day that I had our ancestor there, I turned off all the lights. I made it really kind of spooky and mysterious. And I had a table up in front of my classroom, and I had this thing draped. And then I cho we chose one of the students randomly, and he or she came up. They were both girls, both of my classes, and they came up and sat in a chair. We blindfolded them, 
And then I uncovered the mysterious, you know, container. And it was just a little black garbage can, a little container. And then we brought it in front of her. And I said, okay, now you have to stick your hand in and find out what our ancestor actually was. And she's like, no, it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I don't want to do it. I said, listen, it hasn't hurt anyone yet. And I just left it there. And she put her hand in. She touched it. And she was like, oh, my gosh. It was slime. It was slime at the bottom of that container. And then I took it out, and I lifted it up to the class, and I said, this is what they want you to believe you were created from. I said, it takes much more faith to believe that than an all-powerful, all-loving God creating us in His image. Yes, we need to be discerning in all areas. How do we become discerning? Notice what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God and the person of God is absolutely acceptable. It means mankind of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to get back into the Word of God. Amen? We need to get back into the Word of God. Why? Our Scripture for next week. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Notice what Timothy, uh, Paul writes again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is the culture that we live in today. And may I leave you with this if I can Some of you may have your doubts about the authenticity and the reliability of God's Word. Often those doubts are formed from things you have heard. Maybe you watched a TikTok video or maybe you saw something on Facebook. Oh, there's all of these contradictions. There are all of these uh, elements of the Bible that weren't real because the Bible was written by man. And it has no power within it of itself. It's just an, another institutionalized element that keeps us uh, from progressing into the society that we need to become. These are all lies from the pit of hell themselves. May I ask you to do two simple, simple things. Three, really. Find yourself a Bible, number one. Take a moment and pray and say, Lord, I want to know the truth. And number three, start reading it. Keep reading it. Keep reading it. And God will reveal himself to you in and through it. Why do I know that? Because just earlier this year, a man named Tucker Carlson, that we all know, was fired from Fox. He was being interviewed in Iowa a few months back. And being part of the Episcopal Church, he practices the practices of Lent. And as a result, he chose that this time, instead of giving something up, he was going to read the Bible for himself. He says, I want to know what it says. I want to read it for myself. I've heard everyone else's opinion, but I want to read it for myself. So he started in Genesis. And he was reading through it. He had just gotten to the point of the New Testament. And he says, there are two things that I have concluded. 
is number one, God is exactly who he said he was. And number two, there's so much more happening in our world than just the physical. And I can't agree with him more. Guys, let me tell you, Jesus said said to us, know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The Bible is the contained word of God. We need discernment, and how we gain that discernment is by knowing God's word. Amen?